No matter who you are, no matter what your personality type, no matter what your ethnic background, there is something that you do every day. Talk. You talk all day, every day. You talk to your friends. You talk to your neighbors. You talk to your coworkers. If you want to get a job, you talk. If you want to order food, you talk. If you want to raise children, you talk. <laughs> there are very few things that you accomplish in your life without talking. We live very wordy lives. The average adult speaks about 16,000 words per day. I think my children exceed that. <laughs> we, are, we are wordy people. Our lives are filled with words. And if you look back over your life, you will surely recognize at some level that your story has been deeply shaped by words. Maybe it was the kind encouragement of a teacher who encouraged you to go into a particular field of study or uh, to pursue a certain career. Your life was shaped by those words that were spoken at the altar. I do. Your life was, was shaped when you heard that little one utter their first words, feed me, right? <laughs> Your life was, was shaped by words. And a lot of those, those words were good words that deepened you, that helped you, that strengthened you, that gave you energy to keep persevering. But maybe your life was filled with hurtful and abusive words. Maybe you heard words throughout your life that shredded your, your sense of worth and, and well-being. Maybe you heard words that, that scarred you and made you consider giving up or maybe even taking your own life. Maybe it was the ridicule of classmates who, who bullied you or the broken promises of someone who betrayed you. Maybe your life was shaped by words of rejection from someone you wanted to be with. Maybe your life was shaped by the words of cold criticism from a boss. Our lives are deeply shaped by the words that are spoken to us. Our lives are deeply shaped by the words that we speak to ourselves. I don't know how you have been affected by words this morning, but I do know that on this morning, Christians gather together all around the globe to acknowledge and pronounce that God has spoken a decisive word, a final word over his people. And that is our hope. That is the good news. God has spoken. And that word has been spoken in the most decisive way in the resurrection. Have you ever considered how your life could, could, could be drastically refashioned if you were to hear those words as spoken to you? Have you ever considered how your life might be rearranged if you were to, were to know with confidence that God has spoken his words over your life, these resurrection 
words. Could it be that God is able to speak such a decisive word, such a final word over your life, that you could have an immeasurable hope and joy from this point forward? Easter says, yes, it could be, and it is, and it shall be forevermore in the life of those who trust in God. Listen, on Good Friday, Jesus was tried in court. He was unjustly condemned, and he was sentenced to death on a cross. And if you were a spectator there on that day, if you were a spectator that day, that Good Friday, you would, have ha- you would have concluded that suffering had the last word. If you were a spectator there on that Good Friday, you, you would have concluded that injustice has the last word. When they laid Jesus in the tomb on Good Friday, it seemed that evil and sin and death had the last word. But Easter boldly declares That suffering must give way to salvation because Jesus lives. Easter cries out that injustice has an an expiration date because Jesus lives. Good Friday seemed to say one thing, but Easter is overturning all of that. Good Friday is giving way to the hope of Easter. That is the hope of the Christian. The hope of the Christian is this. Easter tells us that that evil has been swallowed up by the goodness of God. That that sin has been canceled by the mercy of God. That death has been defeated by the power of God. All of this because he lives. In the resurrection, God has spoken the authoritative word the most definitive word, the final word. And you and I were meant to live under that word. Do you realize that? You were meant to live under that word. Your life was meant to flourish under the power of that word spoken over you. The writer of Hebrews puts the finishing touches on his letter in this this passage for this morning. He, he's giving his, his parting shot to his struggling friends, and he declares a benediction over them. Now listen, a benediction is simply a final word of blessing that a speaker declares operating as the mouthpiece for God. Every Sunday at the end of our service, I raise my hands over you, and I declare a blessing over you. And what that is doing is this. I am am standing as the mouthpiece of God to communicate to you that you live under the blessing of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that you go out into the world under that blessing. You go out into the workplace under that blessing. You go out into the neighborhood under that blessing from God. That's what I stand up here as God's mouthpiece to to say in the benediction. And in a similar way, the writer of the book of Hebrews is declaring this final word of blessing over his friends. This final word of blessing that lets them know that all of the hardships that they're enduring are not the decisive word under which they live. They live under God's blessing. 
All of their struggles are not the decisive word under which they live. They live under God's goodness. All of the trials and and turbulence and, and difficulties that are going on in their lives. The writer of the book of Hebrews is declaring this blessing over them to let them know that this is the decisive word under which you live. He's declaring a blessing, a benediction at the end of this letter. And he wants to indicate that through faith in Christ, our great high priest, they live under that profound blessing from God. But what is the nature of this final word, this this blessing, this benediction? What What is the nature of this blessing that he speaks over his friends? If you look at the text, look at verse 20. You will notice that in essence, this benediction, if you sort through the grammar, is this. This is the blessing. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus equip you with everything good that you may do his will. That is the blessing he declares. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus equip you with everything good that you may do his will. That's the blessing. That's the declaration that he makes over their lives. Look at this benediction. It begins by identifying the God of the Bible as the God of peace. The God of holistic, lasting, expansive flourishing and fullness. Now, as we have covered over the last few weeks through the book of Hebrews, in this season of their lives, everything was threatening. Everything was stressful. Everything was anxiety producing. They felt like dangers lurked around every corner because they were out of favor. They were on the margins of their culture. And so everything seemed threatening to them. But the writer, look at it, the writer pronounces a word of blessing to awaken them and to reorient them. You live under the blessing of the God of peace. You don't need to control the circumstances around you because your God is the God of peace. You don't need to stress over achieving successes or avoiding failures because your God is the God of peace. You you don't need to, to, to people please your way through life because your God is the God of peace. He is the source of peace. And to have him, it's to have his peace. It's to be an heir of his peace. To have him is to have the kind of peace that you could never get by attempting to control your circumstances. To have him is to have the kind of peace that you could never get by stressing to to try and achieve successes and avoid failures, to have him is to have the kind of peace that you could never get by people-pleasing your way through life. He is the God of peace, and it means everything to know that the God in whom you place your trust is the God of peace. It means everything. It changes everything. It means everything to know that you live under his word of blessing. And his word is the definitive word, the final word over his people. It is the God of peace who speaks over his community this morning. But here's the question. How can he be the God of peace? How can he be the God of peace? Here's why. Because he's the God of resurrection. 
He is the God of peace because he is the God of resurrection. All of the flourishing that God brings is a result of the resurrection. He's the God of peace because he brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. The one thing that can ultimately bring peace is the thing that God brought, a resurrection. You see, it is from the resurrection that the restoration comes. It is through the resurrection that true flourishing comes. It is through the resurrection that dead things come to life. It is through the resurrection that destinies are changed. It is through the resurrection that the ruin of your life is turned into beauty. That from the ashes rise God's people because of the resurrection. When God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he was saying this. As astonishing as that is, this is just the beginning of what I'm doing with my people and with my entire creation. This is just the beginning. Just as I took the broken body of my son and returned health and flourishing to him, so I am taking my broken body, the church, and restoring health and flourishing and fullness to them. Just as ruin overtook my son on Good Friday and I raised him up out of the ruin in a resurrection, so I'm doing that with this ruined world and all of the ruined people who trust in me. The resurrection is the center of the peace of God. Every once in a while, I leave my home and I make a trip to Costco. <laughs> and when I arrive at the front door, I show them my card. Because in order to make purchases in Costco, I have to verify that I am a member. And once they verify that I'm a member, I, I enter into Costco and I get a big cart and I begin to grab things in bulk. Now, I grab things in bulk. I grab soap. And it's like, it's enough soap to last us for a lifetime. I, I, I grab water and it's, it, it's like it's enough water to hydrate us for a lifetime. It, I, I grab food and it, it's like it's enough food to last us forever. And then there finally comes the point at which it's time for me to pay for those items. And so I, I go to the cashier. And they check my card once again just to ensure that I'm a member. And then all of those things are rung up. And I pay the price for those items. And then they give me this long receipt with a, a long list of all of the items that I have purchased. It's all on the receipt. But before I leave the store... There's another person who takes my long receipt and they go down through the long receipt to ensure that I have everything that I paid for. And then they always write a little smiley face on my receipt. And then I leave Costco and I, I go home and share everything that I purchased with my family. 
They don't have to pay for any of it because I have the receipt to prove that I have already paid for it and I delight to share with my family. This is the good news of the gospel. One day, Jesus left his home in glory and he entered into this world and he became a member of the human community. Now, one of the things I forgot to mention is that I'm no ordinary member. I'm an executive member. And in a similar way, Jesus was no ordinary member of humanity. He was fully God, fully man, one person, two natures. And in his humanity, he was able to submit to death. He was able to taste our sufferings. He was able to take on our pain and afflictions. And as he lived in this world, he secured all of the good things that he was eventually going to have to pay for. He secured through his obedience the life of righteousness, the perfect life of love and goodness and beauty and truth. But on Good Friday, it was time for him to pay for those items. And it was as if we could check his card again to ensure that he was a true member of our human family because he was able to bleed like we bleed. He was able to cry tears like we do. He was able to cry out in anguish like we do. And ultimately, he was able to die as we can die. But here's the deal. After he laid in the grave for three days, before he left the grave, the father took that long receipt of all of the things for which Jesus paid, and he goes down through the list, and then he writes his smiley face on the receipt because he's well pleased with the sacrifice of his son, and that Jesus emptied the grave. He left the tomb in order to share all of his gifts with his family. Everything on that receipt belongs to us now. He loves to share with his family. We don't have to pay for any of it because he has the resurrection receipt in order to prove that he's already paid for it and he delights to share with his family. But what's on that resurrection receipt? There's righteous standing with God on that resurrection receipt. There's a new identity on that resurrection receipt. He purchased grace and mercy and love in bulk, enough to last you forever. Just when you think you're about to run out, just when you think your sin is too great, just when you think your guilt is too heavy and your shame too much, you will always find sufficient grace in Jesus. Grace and mercy following you all the days of your life. You will never run out of his love. Your friends may come to the end of their love for you when you really mess it up bad, but the resurrection is the receipt that you have enough love in Jesus Christ to last you forever and ever and ever and into eternity, and we will marvel in glory at the magnitude of his love, the deep, deep love of Jesus, the vast, unmeasured, boundless, free love of Jesus. He's sharing everything that he purchased with his family. He's sharing the sure pardon that he purchased with his family. He's sharing the certain hope that he purchased with his family. He's sharing the inexpressible joy that he purchased with his family. 
He's sharing the peace of God with his family. We don't have to try and pay for any of these things with our good works, our accomplishments, or our performance, because Jesus already paid the cost. The resurrection is the the receipt of proof, and he delights to share with all who trust in him. Listen, you may have come here this morning hoping for a little pick-me-up. You may have come here this morning looking for a little encouragement. Maybe you just came here for just a, a, a little spark of motivation to help you have a nice life. But here's what I want you to know this morning. God is offering you much, much more. God is offering to give you everything on the receipt. Do you realize that? God did not send his son to die and rise from the dead so that you could have a nice life. He sent his son to die on the cross and rise from the grave so that you could have a new life, an altogether new life, a life characterized by resurrection power, a life characterized by resurrection hope. He wants to give you so much more than the little. God doesn't do anything in small ways. Everything he does is of holy magnitude and awesomeness. Will you, here's the question for you today, the question for all of us, will you look to Christ? Will you look to his death and say he did that for sinners like me? It's not enough to say that Jesus died. It doesn't become good news until you say, Jesus died for me. And when you look at the resurrection and the empty tomb to say, through faith in him, I'm believing that that can be, that will be my future through faith in him, that he is the trailblazer and I'm going to follow in his footsteps. Can no grave hold my body down? I'm going to rise through faith in him. That's the question. Will you embrace that, that hope, that faith, that good news this morning? Will you look to him? God's final word over his people is a, resu- a resurrection word. God's most potent blessing is a resurrection blessing. That is the word that he speaks over his people. And when God speaks that word over his people, when that God of peace, the God of the Bible, speaks the word of resurrection over his people as he has declared it, we are equipped to do every good thing that pleases him. You are equipped by the resurrection to do good in the world. You are equipped by the resurrection to share his love in the world. You are equipped by the resurrection to overcome your fears. You are equipped by the resurrection to serve people. Because everything that causes us to recoil from God and everything that causes us to recoil from doing good to the people around us is a result of the death of sin clinging to us. But you have a God, a resurrection, and he's able to free you from the sin that so easily entangles you. He's able to do that. So go, my friends. 
go out this morning and celebrate the fact that you live under the powerful word of resurrection. You may have heard all kinds of disheartening voices in your life. Your own self-speak may be tripping you up, but I want you to hear the words of God rising in your ears. Rise up. Rise up into the newness of life. I want you to hear his words beckoning you. He is going to call you out of the grave. In the resurrection, Jesus has turned death into a nap. Just like you went to sleep last night and you woke up this morning on this resurrection day. You live under the powerful word of God. And so death has become a nap. You will rise from that nap into life everlasting, joy inexpressible, and eternal hope. So go out under that word of hope, under that word of blessing. Love the world. Serve the world. Give the world the good news of God's story. That no matter what's going on in their lives right now, no matter where they're at in this chapter of their story, there is a change, a reversal, a turning of the story that's possible in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's try that again. Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have raised your son from the dead so that you could raise your children from the dead. And we pray that this morning our hearts would leap at that truth, that our hearts would be filled with love because the grave is empty. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live under this resurrection word and to do the things that are pleasing in your sight, to glorify Christ throughout our lives. And we pray, Lord, for our friends in here who are still working through this. This may sound crazy to them, but help them to honestly wrestle with it, Lord, and to know that if Jesus indeed got out of the grave, then there's nothing that he cannot call us to. If Jesus got out of the grave, there is nothing he's unwilling to do to rescue us. Help us to call out to you, God, in the sure expectation that if you died and rose for us, you will do all of the lesser things to keep us. We give you praise this morning, Christ. You are risen. And we thank you and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen.